listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. I want to jump into this with you guys. Because obviously with nine things to talk about, it's going to be, uh, I'm going to go through them as quickly as I can each, but I do want to talk about these because people think happiness, you know, of course we've talked about on the broadcast how there's a difference between supernatural joy and happiness, just a feeling of happiness. And um, as I've taught many times before, joy is an anointing. Joy is an anointing, which we'll cover today in a moment, but joy, without question, it's an anointing. It's not a feeling. It's something given to you by the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about natural happiness that can go away when the situations change or when events change. I'm talking about uh, supernatural joy as an anointing. So uh, I'm going to talk about these nine things. They're going to help you, but these are all things that you can control by the choices you make, which is why I want to deal with it. Uh, you don't, there's this thought that we just kind of have to take life as it comes and that no matter what's going on, you know, things will eventually change, but I got to deal with right now and that's how it is. And that's, that's not actually scriptural. You can take actions, make choices that will bring about uh, what we would call a harvest or a result in your life. And that's why it's so important to make the choices that the scripture encourages you to make. And that's what today's gonna be about. Uh, nine decisions that will uh, instantly make you happier or make you instantly happier, however we say it. But you can make these today, obviously. But take notes, put them in the comments. I wanna, I wanna jump right in. Number one, um, don't worry about what you cannot control. I want to start there. Do not worry about what you cannot control. Put that in the comments. And, um, and let, me, let me deal with that. That's the first thing that people have to get a handle on. Like, there are, <laughs> I don't know if you, you know anybody like this, but there are people I've met that are just straight up worriers. They worry constantly, like about everything. It's, it's, it's annoying to be around. They're just always like uh, on the edge of anxiety uh, because of all, everything that's going on in their life, everything going on in the world, and they're just straight up worriers all the time. And this is not just a good idea that I'm telling you. This is actually something the Bible teaches. Don't worry about what you can't control, things you can't control. And um, let me read to you from... Uh, Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, and I'll start reading with verse number 25. Matthew 6, 25, Jesus is teaching. The Bible says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. 
Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are not you of more value than they are? And li listen to this part right here, verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now look at verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Do not be anxious about tomorrow. Do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, some people would think, well, this, this is a contradiction in the Bible. Is the Bible telling me not to plan? No, no. The Bible's not telling you not to plan for the future. In fact, if you read the book of Proverbs and other parts of the Bible, you can see that God uh, actually rewards those who are wise planners. But there's a difference between wise planning and being anxious about what you can't control. So wise planning, obviously, is in regards to what you can control, right? Wise planning has to do with what you have control over. For example, uh, let's just say a practical example. How much of your income that you may put aside into savings, or maybe what you would call an emergency account or whatever, an emergency fund. You have control over that. You know, not spending, not overspending, and putting yourself in a place where you can uh, uh, put money aside. You have control over that. But the other, but things that people don't have control over, that they constantly are anxious about, like think about things like the stock market, the economy, the government, you know, the, the uh, um, unrest in culture. You know, people sit around, what's gonna happen to the economy? I don't know what's gonna happen in six months from now. I, I have no, you, you can't control the nation's economy. You can't control the culture. You can't control what happens uh, in the White House as an individual. And so people get all worked up about this stuff. They get all freaked out. They're up all night thinking about it. What's going to happen with the economy? What's going to happen with the government? What's going to happen with our, what's going on in Russia? What's going to happen in the, it, 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 things they cannot control. Doesn't mean you can't pray about them, but you don't control them. So it would be pointless for us to be anxious about or worry about things that we cannot control. So you put them out. You put them out of your mind. You know, as I said a moment ago, yes, you can pray for them. But have you ever thought of this? That though you can pray for them, if you could pray, which you can, um, wouldn't it be pointless to pray if you were in fear about those things? Wouldn't it be pointless to pray? Because we're taught when we pray 
that we're supposed to pray in faith, right? Faith believing. You shall have what you ever, whatsoever you say. If you believe, you've received it. So you can't pray in fear and expect those prayers to come to pass, right? So it would be pointless to even pray if you're doing it from a place of anxiety. And that's the point I'm trying to make is that you have to do it in faith. And so there's no point, there's no point whatsoever worrying about anything you can't control. And I've seen it. To me, it's irritating. And I've seen people that do it. And I'm just irritated by it. It's like, bro, even if you sat up all night in a rocking chair wondering what's going to happen, not a thing is going to change about the future. You might as well just get a good night's sleep and move on with your day tomorrow. That's what Jesus is teaching. He said, don't, don't be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Deal with today. Doesn't mean you're not planning for your future. Doesn't mean any of that. But deal with today. And, and here's the thing. You're truly just trusting the Lord for what's going to happen in the future. I'm trusting God that he's going to take care of me. Isn't that the context of what Jesus is teaching in Matthew chapter 6? He takes care of the birds of the air and provides them fruit, food. He takes care of their clothing. Uh, those, the lilies in the field clothes them. And aren't you worth more than they're worth? Of course. And so what the point, the point Jesus is teaching is let the Lord take care of you. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Let the Lord take care of you. And if you'll flip that switch in your brain, I, I mean it like actually make that flip to understand how pointless it is to even try to be anxious about things coming up in the future and just flip that switch and say, you know what? I don't care. I'm not in control of it. The Lord will take care of me. The Lord will take care of me. And I think sometimes people don't want to do that because they feel like they're irresponsible, right? People feel like they're irresponsible uh, for feeling that way or living that way. Well, I need, I need to be worried about what's going on in the world. No, you don't. Why do you? It's not going to change anything. It's not going to change. It's not going to affect your life other than put you into a huge amount of stress. That's it. So what's the point? What's the point of getting all worked up? That's right. Britt, we've been singing that song in the revivals. God will work it out. The Maverick City. God will work it out. And, and, and we're, we're believing God to take care of us. Believing for, in God to take care of us. And so... I flipped that switch a long time ago. I'm not going to sit around and stay up all night and freak out and worry about what's going on. You know, I can tell you, which this, this kind of was funny to me. A couple of years ago when all this stuff was hitting, March, and of course, you know, you remember what we did. We went through all of the uh, Spirit of Faith sessions and all we did. Even though I was, uh, you know, an evangelist and still am and, and was thinking to myself, you know, if churches are shutting down, I never sat around and worried, well, what if churches all cancel their services? What if all my revivals are canceled? And what if all, I never even worried about that. Never thought about it. Just kept on, kept on living life as normal. Kept on going forward. Didn't even think, even when the ones that I, where I was supposed to be overseas, you know, of course the borders were all closed in other nations. Even when that happened, I just kept on moving forward. I didn't think about like, oh man, what's gonna happen next month? I don't think about next month in that way. I don't worry about next month in that way. Just keep on moving forward. Keep on doing what the Lord's called you to do. Let the Lord take care of you. 
You do what you can do. You do the things that he's given you to do. Responsible, faithful over little, he'll make you ruler over much. And then let God, who is the master, take care of those things that only he can take care of. I'm not gonna get involved. And see, that's where I feel like people stress themselves out. Trying to get involved mentally with what's gonna take place, what's gonna happen. What'll happen if, you know, this is how Christians were, you know, a couple years ago. What's going to happen if Trump's not reelected? What's going to happen if this, what if this goes, what if this country goes to war? What if this happens with the economy? What if gas prices go to this? And, and, and they sit around, stuff they can't control. And they get into uh, worry, anxiety, fear, stress over all those things when it doesn't really matter because you can't control it. So just be happy. Uh, be happy that the Lord's taking care of you. People say, that seems so, <laughs> that seems so uh, uh, oversimplified. Just be happy. Well, that's what the Bible's telling us here. Just trust God and be happy that God's going to take care of you. God watches over his faithful children. So don't worry about those things. So the second thing I'll tell you, that's number one. Good morning, Kemba. Love you. Number two is you've got to not just stop worrying about what you can't control, but number two, control your soul. Put that in the comments. Control your soul. This is the second decision you can make um, that, will, that will make you instantly happier. Absolutely. Put it in the comments. Control your soul. Let's go to the book of Colossians. Chapter 3. I have to control my soul on a daily basis. So for those of you that might be jumping on and you're sharing the broadcast, remember you're a three-part being. You're a three-part being. You are a spirit. You have a soul. You live in a physical body. And in fact, when Paul wrote to the Thessalonian church, he listed all three of those things in 1 Thessalonians 5. Now, he talks about the spirit, soul, and body all in one verse, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. So you are a three-part being. The soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your mind, your will, and your emotions. And people don't control their mind, their thoughts. They don't control their emotions. And they don't control their will. And it's detrimental to their joy, without question. And Paul seemed to, to, to teach that um, you have the ability to set, to set your minds, to set them, to choose what it is that you dwell and meditate upon. Look at Colossians chapter 3, uh, and I'll read verses 1 through 3. The Bible says, if then... You've been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2. Set your minds on things that are above and not on things that are on earth. For you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so... In a minute, we're going to go to Philippians chapter 4, but get, get this statement right here. Set your minds 
on things above. That's, that's controlling your soul. That's controlling your soul. Set your minds on things above. Flip back to Philippians chapter four. We're going to look at that. But Paul's giving us the instruction here that we have the ability to set our minds. That means that your mind doesn't control you. You control it. No, that's how it should be. But catch this now. Philippians chapter four. And uh, we'll start with verse eight. Very familiar passage. Philippians 4, 8, extremely familiar passage. Um, the Bible says in the eighth verse, and we'll read on from there. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever's pure, whatever is lovely, whatever's commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about these things. You see that. And so Paul, again, Paul is teaching that you have control over your mind. You have control over your soul. Kathy Warner asks the question on Facebook, so is it possible to be so heavenly minded that you are of no earthly good? That's a phrase that we've heard for many years. I've heard people say it. I've heard it, uh, I've heard it rehearsed, you know, well, that guy's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. But in fact, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Who could have been more heavenly minded than Jesus? Who could have, he was perfect in his thought process, perfect. He only said what he heard the father say. He only did what he uh, saw the father do. He always was meditating on what was proper. Nobody was more heavenly minded than Jesus. And you can't tell me he was no earthly good. Now, there are people that are just straight up goofy, but that doesn't mean they're heavenly minded. I, I don't believe that you can truly be so heavenly minded you're no earthly good. I believe the more heavenly minded you are, the more earthly good you will be. Kathy, to answer that question. I truly believe the more heavenly minded you are, the more earthly good you will be. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, when I was teaching on soul winning, for example, four elements that I believe you have to have uh, in your life to be an effective soul winner. The four elements that I taught on were number one, you have to have an eternal mindset, an eternal mindset, that's heavenly mindedness. Knowing that eternity is real, eternity is coming, there's an actual prophetic timeline, God is going to send Christ back, you know, people are on their way to hell, it's an eternal mindset. But then all the other things that follow that, they follow uh, in a domino pattern. Once one gets knocked, the other three have to fall. So yes, we need boldness to be great soul winners, and yes, we need urgency to be great soul winners. And yes, we need compassion to be great soul winners. But each one of those things is based upon our heavenly mindedness, that there's an eternity that's coming. So my urgency is based on that heavenly mindedness. My boldness is based upon the urgency and the heavenly mindedness. And then my compassion for people is based on the boldness, the urgency, and the heavenly mindedness that this, these things are going to come to pass quickly. 
and I better do what I can. So it's my personal belief in that way that truly the more heavenly minded you are, the more earthly good you are. The more heavenly minded you are, the more earthly good you are. And so I feel like we need to do what Paul said, set our minds on things above. And then of course, uh, whatsoever things are, and then he lists them, true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. Think about these things. Think about these things. And then Again, Paul is teaching the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians. It's his letter to the second letter of the Corinthians that we have. Um, and then he says this in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 and 5. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty, opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Catch this. And take every thought captive to obey Christ. Enjoy work, Lisa. We'll see you later. Um, Taking every thought captive. You see that. So again, Paul is making another uh, statement about how you have control even over thoughts. Because I've heard people say, well, man, I can't control what thoughts pop into my head. Maybe not. But you can control if you dwell on them or not. You can control whether you meditate on them or not. So what are the three things Paul is teaching about controlling your soul? Number one, set your mind. Set it. In the same way that you would set a thermostat, right? I'm not setting it based on what the room is now. I'm setting it based upon what I want the room to be. That's the whole point. I, the room right now might be 75 degrees. I want it at 70. So I'll turn that thermostat to 70, which will create what I want. That's what Paul's saying. Set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. And then he tells you what things to think about in Philippians. What's true, what's pure, what's holy, what's excellent. Good report, worthy of praise, Right? So we choose, and then he tells us what to do with the negative thoughts that come. They might rise up, but to the Corinthians, he says, that we take every thought captive to obey Christ. So we're taking those thoughts prisoner, truly. We're t- every negative thought that comes in, we don't meditate on it. We take it prisoner, and we make it obey Jesus Christ. Make it obey And and let me tell you, when you start to take control of your soul, you say, well, how would I know what my soul is supposed to do? Because it's supposed to line up with God's word and how God's word says you're supposed to look. Let me ask you, is it wrong? Now, I understand there are times where people are sad, people weep, people mourn, people grieve. I get that. We just came uh, from the uh, funeral of... Pastor Rhonda Spencer in New York. Uh, Were we grieved there? Yes. Were we sad there? Yes. Not sad because we'll never see her again. Not sad because we don't know she's in heaven, but sad because, of course, we'll miss her on the earth. Of course we're sad about that. And the Bible tells us that we're to uh, weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn, comfort them. Uh, And of course, yes, we're doing that. doesn't mean we don't have joy, but is there something wrong? And I'd like to ask you this. Is there something wrong 
when somebody goes around in life and they never or even seldom are joyful, seldom are happy, is there something wrong there? And the answer to that is yes, there's something wrong. If somebody is always in a place of anxiety, depression, lacking joy, lacking peace, there is something wrong. And that's not even a Christian perspective. That is just a worldview perspective. See, because if, it, if, there was, if there was nothing wrong with it, then why would people be seeking out medical help for it? If it's the way that we want to be, if it's the normal way of living, if it, if it should be our standard, then why are people seeking out medical help, psychological help, uh, pharmaceutical help? Right. And so... Uh, you, even the world, it's, it's crazy, even the world understands that that's wrong. It's not right. It's wrong, not right. How much more should Christians understand it since we know that joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, as listed by Paul? See, it's not right, it's wrong. That's why we've got to control the soul, bring it back to where the Bible says it's supposed to be. Yes, Jody, I know Brother Hockaday. Tell him I said hello and I love him. He's a great, great man of God. So number two is control your soul. Set your mind. Think about specific things and take captive the thoughts that control you. That's number two. Number three, the third decision that you can make on a regular basis, which I don't think, to be honest with you, I teach on it a lot, but I don't think a lot of Christians do it. And that is to take time throughout your day to actively praise God. And I mean praise God. And I don't think Christians do it. But I'll tell you if, you, if people would, it's a pipeline into the joy of the Lord. No question. It's a pipeline. It carries the power of God. It carries the joy of the Lord. Why? Because we know our praise takes us into his presence. And we know that in his presence is fullness of joy. You know, I can guarantee you, you don't see people that are walking around in chronic depression actively shouting and praising and singing and dancing before the Lord. You've got to actively praise God. Say, so, well, I've, I haven't felt like praising in quite some time. You don't praise God because you feel like praising God. We do it because the Bible tells us to do it. It's a command in scripture that we're to clap our hands, that we're to sing a new song, that we're to shout unto God with a voice of triumph. We don't, we don't do it because we feel like it. We do it because we're commanded and because he's worthy of all the praise, all the glory, all the honor. He's worthy of all praise, all glory, all honor. And so we do it because we are his servants, we are his children, and we actively praise him on a daily basis. But there are benefits to that praise. There are benefits to that praise. The Bible says that God's given us a garment of praise for meaning in exchange for, the spirit of heaviness. So there is a spirit of heaviness actively trying to take people over, to take control of their lives. But God has given us that garment of praise in exchange for a spirit of heaviness. You, you ought to map it out just the same way you map out, you know, Bible reading, prayer, anything else. And actively set a time on your schedule if you haven't done it before and start praising God. Truly, I mean, 
If you've got to put some praise music on, I don't care if you've got to lock yourself in your bedroom and dance before the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord with everything you've got. And as you engage his presence with praise, joy, the Bible is very clear about this. Joy will fill your soul. Praise is a quick, direct connection into joy. No question about that. Number four. Number one, don't worry about what you can't control. Second decision, control your soul. Third decision, actively praise God. Fourth decision, pray intensely. Now, two things that I want to say. Pray, number one, we talk about, we talk about praying in our known language, which I know there's people watching this from other nations. So your first language may not be English. It might be another language. It might be German. It might be, maybe something else. I understand that. But pray in your known language, but also pray in the Holy Ghost. Pray in tongues. Those are two things that uh, will bring you into joy. That's right. That was Brother Hagin, uh, Kemba. Brother Hagin said that. God showed him a vision with a scale weighted down on one side with prayer. The other side was lacking praise. And uh, he said, when their praise equals their prayer, their breakthroughs will come. That's what the Lord told Brother Hagin. But notice the, the, this fourth decision to pray. Well, that's why I'm telling you, they go together. You've got to not just praise, but also pray. But see, there are joy promises that come with your prayer life. There are joy promises. Let me give you a couple. Number one is found in the gospel of John chapter 16. And uh, Jesus is teaching about what will happen uh, when they begin to ask the Father things in his name. And in John 16, uh, verse 23 and 24, catch this promise. He said, in that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you until now. You've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive. Look at this. That your joy may be full. Woo! That's a promise on prayer right there. One of the ways God wants to fill you with joy is by answering your prayers. By answering your prayers. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. And so I want you to see that the fourth decision here is to pray intensely on a daily basis. Take time to pray, not just in English or in your known language, but also in the Holy Ghost. Because as we go over, we could look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, as Paul is teaching on speaking in tongues. And one of the things that he teaches is that speaking in tongues is something that causes you to encourage yourself. Or to edify yourself. I mean, throw a hand up in the comments if you've ever, uh, or you often experience that. Where the moment you begin to pray in the Holy Spirit, you feel stirred up in your, in your faith. You feel stirred up in the Holy Ghost. You feel, it's almost like stretching out your spiritual muscles to get ready to do the work of the Lord. You edify yourself. You encourage yourself in the Lord. That's one of the things that praying in tongues accomplishes is that it edifies or encourages that believer. Now, Paul admitted that, that yes, you might be encouraging yourself, but 
in a public setting, if nobody interprets a word from the Lord, then only you will be encouraged and nobody else will know what you're saying or even be encouraged by your thank thanksgiving, 1 Corinthians 14. And so Paul makes it clear that you're encouraging yourself in the Lord. It's a spiritual language. No man understands the one who is praying like that. He is speaking unto God and not unto men. Very clear. And so, but, but what does it do? It, as Jude wrote, right? Building up your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. So it doesn't just encourage you spiritually. It also builds up the faith you have and gets it ready for action. And I'm telling you, all of the great men of God that I've ever been around, that if they weren't, they, they were just praying in the spirit and under their breath, riding in a car with them, they're praying in the Holy Ghost. You know, getting prepared, they're praying in the Holy Ghost. Pastor Enoch Adeboye said that no minister should stand in a pulpit to preach without having prayed in the spirit for at least an hour. No minister should do that. Dr. Cho, who built the largest church in the world, said that uh, he'd pray for hours on end before standing to speak because he understood the power of it. It builds you up, but it fills you with encouragement and joy. And that's what we need to do. That's, that's decision number four. It, too many Christians neglect the spiritual basics. And, and we can't. If we want to be in full strength, full speed ahead, full joy, we have to have those things in place on a daily basis. So that's number four. Decision number five. Decision number five. Fill yourself with God's word. Fill yourself with God's word. I'm talking about these Christian disciplines right here in the middle because I want you to get the meat of this. These are things that you can easily control on a daily basis. One thing that I'm finding out is that people truly won't do the things they're supposed to if they don't see the value in doing those things. You have to understand the value. And so, yes, there's praise. Yes, there's prayer, but also fill yourself with God's word. Fill yourself with God's word. We, I quote this all the time. Jeremiah said this in Jeremiah 15, 16. Lord, I found your word and I did eat it. And it became unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart or my soul. It filled him with joy. Filled him with joy. He filled himself with the word and it filled him with joy. No question. It has that aspect. The, 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 the writer of Proverbs said that when the word came unto him, it was sweet like honey to the taste. It was sweet like honey to the taste. It's a refreshing thing, the word of God. It's a joy-filled substance, the word of God. And when you fill yourself with it, it brings that joy and that refreshing to your spirit, to your soul. And when, that's why putting these things in motion, that's why, man, I would rather, with all my, with all my heart, I would rather depend upon uh, disciplines than I would passions. Disciplines over passions all day long. Discipline over passion all day long. Um, what do I mean by that? Well, if you have to depend on passion 
to do anything. That's, I've taught on this before, that's why people quit on their workout plan, that's why people quit on their diet, that's why people, all the things that you have to have that to do, once passion runs out, you're done. <laughs> that's why Quitter's Day is January 18th, because that's when they found the average person quits on their New Year's resolutions, 18 days into the new year. Why? Because passions run out. Passions run out by that time. And so they're not, they're done. Why? The discipline wasn't in place. Discipline over passion all day long. I don't have to feel the passion to pray. I don't have to feel the passion to praise. I don't have to feel the passion to read the word or to attend church. I do, I'll do those things when I'm tired. I do those things when I'm, you know, I've been preaching three weeks straight. I come home. You think your flesh feels like getting up after three straight weeks of church, getting up on Sunday morning, getting your stuff out, getting, you know, changing, going to church. Sit. You think your flesh feels like doing that? No. But discipline is greater than passion all day long. I don't go to church because I feel like going to church. I don't go to church because I feel like going to church. I don't read the word because I feel like reading the word. I don't pray because I feel like praying. I don't praise because I feel like praising, though sometimes I do. But I do it because it's what I should do. I'm a child of God. I'm a servant of God. I do it because that's what ch children of God are supposed to do. And I do it. And see, all the other stuff follows. So the passion will follow my discipline. My discipline does not follow my passion. My, my passion follows my discipline. And it... And, and I make this body do what it should. It's not going to control me. I'm controlling it by what the Word of God tells me to do. This is an objective standard. This Bible is an objective standard. That's why I follow it. It's God's Word. So, number five, I fill myself with the Word of God. Fill myself with the Word of God. Number six, the sixth decision that I'm going to make on a regular basis is that I'm going to decide to be spirit-led. Put that in the comments. Number six, I'm going to decide to be spirit-led. I want my whole life to be spirit-led. My whole life. My whole life. I don't want to do anything out of my own good idea, my own standard. I want my life to be spirit-led. And that's what we're believing for, that the Lord will guide us in every decision. He'll speak to us in every situation. Why is that so important, people ask? Well, because God's leading always takes you into overwhelming blessing. God doesn't lead you into destruction. God doesn't lead you into, uh, or, or lead you to diminish. He leads you to increase. He leads you into blessing. He leads you into goodness and mercy. He leads you into joy. And so when I do what the Lord wants me to do, there's a blessing attached to it. There's joy attached to it. He said in Isaiah 48, 17, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit and leads you in the way that you should go. And so without question, when I follow his leading, I'm being led into his blessings, his blessings, which joy is one of those blessings. Peace is one of those blessings. And so I want to be spirit led. Did you ever think of this too? 
Who could come up with a better plan for your life than the Lord Almighty? You couldn't. No one, no one that's a, a financial planner, nobody that's a life coach, nobody, no doc, nobody can come up with a better plan for your life than the Lord God Almighty. He said in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So why would I try to take my own finite mind, my own finite wisdom, and replace God's infinite wisdom with my finite wisdom? That's why the Bible says in Psalm 127, Verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. And unless the Lord is guarding a city, the watchmen walk the walls in vain. <laughs> because if God's not in it, why would you want to be in it? That's how I feel about everything. I don't want to live where he doesn't want me to live. I don't want to go to church where he doesn't want me to go to church. I don't want to marry who he doesn't want me to marry. I don't want to take a career he doesn't have for me. I want to do exactly what he wants me to do with my life. As many, Romans 8, 14, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And we will agree at the end, Marjorie, and I'm going to agree with you for a job. I want to be Spirit-led. See, because being spirit-led will lead you into joy. That's where God's taking you. He, he has no desire to diminish you, to destroy you, but to bless you. But to bless you. And so we have to listen for that spirit. We're sensitive. Well, I can tell you this. this these are kind of domino-affected as well. Um, people, Christians, I'm going to say Christians. Christians who have their disciplines in place are going to hear from the Lord much more easily than those who don't have their disciplines in place. So what do you mean by that? Christians who will do the things I just taught, number three, four, and five, those that will praise on a daily basis, those that will pray on a daily basis, those that will read the word on a daily basis, those that will go to church when the doors are open, right? The disciplines, those Christians will more easily hear from the voice of the Lord, the voice of the Holy Spirit, than Christians who don't. Because recognize what you're doing. When you do those things, you will put yourself, now, I, now I've taught on this before, so don't get confused. God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. But that doesn't mean we're always engaging his presence. So what you're doing is you're putting yourself into his direct presence when you praise, when you pray, when you read his word, when you go to his house. You're putting yourself willingly directly into his presence. And that's why you can more easily hear his voice. That's why, for example, I, I, I tweeted this one time and people I don't think truly understood what I meant. But put this phrase in the comments. This will help you. Proximity to God's presence your proximity to God's presence will determine the volume of his voice. Your proximity 
to God's presence will determine the volume of his voice. This is, this is the point I'm trying to teach right now. That if you'll get those disciplines in place, it, that proximity to his presence, you're closer, you're closer, you're closer. That's why God said, uh, you go to uh, the book of James, draw near unto God and he will draw near unto you. Your proximity to God's presence will determine the volume of his voice. There's no question about that. No question about that. You know, and I think about it often, that when we do these things, it's like if you've ever been in a, let's say you're in a big house and you're trying to talk to somebody that's on the other side of the house. And so you can't even hear what they're saying. Happens to my wife and I, what? You know, she'll be saying something, but she's in, the, in like maybe in the kitchen, I'm back in the bedroom. And I'm, I'm yelling, Carolyn, and she, she can't quite, she can't, I can't hear what you're saying. She's yelling, I can't hear what you're saying. I have to leave the room. So what am I going to do? I'm going to go out of where I am and go back to where she is, maybe walk into the kitchen where she's at. Well, obviously, the closer I get to her, the more clarity that I'm going to get from what she's saying. If she's trying to talk and there's stuff going on, kids are watching iPads, watching TV, doing school, I'm in the bedroom, she's out in the kitchen, I can't make out what she's saying, though she is speaking. But when I come out and look at the proximity, the closer I get to where she's at, the clearer her voice is going to become. All the other things that are happening in the house are drowned out, they're washed out. When I'm right next to her, I can hear what she's saying. If she were to put her mouth right by my ear and speak, I'll hear it even better. Why? The proximity's right there. And there's people that they're upset that, well, I don't know why God's not speaking. He's speaking. It's that people have kept themselves so far out of his presence that they don't hear him speaking. They keep themselves so far out of his presence that they don't hear him speaking. But when you get these disciplines in place, you make these choices to praise, to pray, to read the word, to get into his house, then guess what's going to happen? You are remaining in his presence, activating his presence. You're going to hear his voice. You're going to hear his voice. He's going to speak to you as you praise. He's going to speak to you as you pray. He's going to speak to you as you read his word. He's going to speak to you in his house. It happens. It happens all the time for people that are faithful to do those things. So I'm going to make a decision to be led by his spirit. And I can more easily be led by his spirit when I've got the other things in place. So that's number six. One, two, three, four, five. Excuse me. No, that is number six. Number seven. Here's an interesting one that people don't talk about often. But joy comes to you when you pursue. Number seven. Pursue holiness. Pursue Holiness. Go to Hebrews chapter 1. And look at this. Holy people are happy people. Holy people are happy people. Hebrews chapter 1, this is in reference to Jesus Christ. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1 Verses 8 and 9. Listen to this. But of the Son, he says, that's Jesus, 
Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness or righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. So what's the result of that? Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Beyond your companions. Holy people are happy people. He said here, you've loved righteousness, hated wickedness, and therefore your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness. It's what I told you before. Joy's not a feeling, it's an anointing. Joy is not a feeling, it is an anointing. And pursuing God in holiness unlocks that anointing. According to the scripture, it's what had happened to Christ. It's what happened to Christ. And notice, if we were to go up, same chapter, Hebrews 1, go up to verse 3. You say, well, that's just talking about Jesus. Okay. Well, look at this, because this, this shows us that Christ is truly uh, the ultimate example. Verse 3. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Notice that he's the exact imprint of the nature of God, meaning He's our example to be like God. We're called to be like. He said, be holy even as I am holy. Well, who's our example? Jesus is. That's why it was so important that he came as a man and that he faced every temptation just like we did and never fell. It's a proof that you can be like him. That you can be like him. So when you pursue holiness, it opens up that joy to your life. That's number seven. Make that decision. Number eight. Activate your personal calling. And of course, I can, uh, I can mush this together if I wanted to with the Spirit being led by the Spirit because that's how you discover what your calling is. You're led by the Spirit. So let me just talk about it for a minute. There's nothing more frustrating than knowing you're supposed to be doing something but you don't quite know what it is. You're supposed to be doing something, but you don't quite know what it is. You're wandering. You're wondering, what should I be doing with my life? You feel like you're at a dead end job that you hate. You're not doing what you feel like you're called to do, but what am I called to do? I don't, there's nothing worse than that. That feeling of being out of place. You feel like, what am I supposed, and then people get despondent because it's like, what am I supposed to be doing with my life? And it happens even to Christian young people. That's why they can go to university, change their major four times, loaded down in student loan debt, because they never figured out what they were supposed to do, what they were called to do. Never figured it out. What am I supposed to do with my life? And they never were led by the Spirit. They let people influence them. They let family members influence them. They let society and culture influence them. And they're doing something they don't even like doing. 
And they're in there studying, taking courses, and they're like, I don't even like this. I don't even, I have no desire to do this with my life. And then you're frustrated. What am I supposed to be doing in life? See, but when you're led by the Spirit and God shows you, that's why we don't tell our kids and we don't teach our kids, when you grow up, you can be anything you want to be. Because we don't believe in the anything you want to be strategy. We believe that when you grow up, you've got to be what God called you to be. You've got to be what God called you to be, not what you want to be. See, that's the, uh, that's, that's, that's the lie of, of our generation is that, you know, it's a man-centered, a man-focused culture. You know, empower yourself. Be what you want to be. Do what you want to do. You know, manifest your truth. That's not scripture. That's not scripture. I'm not going to do what I want to do and say what I want to say and manifest my own truth. No, I'm going to do what he says to do. I want to be who he created me to be. And I'm going to manifest his truth, not my truth, his truth. And so our children, we teach them, listen, be what God called you to be. Not what you want to do, not what you want to be. And here's the thing. The Bible tells us that God will give us the desires of our heart. But have you ever read that scripture in such a way that you thought, maybe God's the one who gives me the desires of my heart. Maybe he puts the desires in there. I can tell you it's happened that way for me in different parts of my life and ministry. And what I was, you know, it happened the first time that I I made a, a ministry choice after Bible school. You know, actually, it happened before that. You've heard my testimony that, um, you know, when I was going to go where Kemba went, where my cousin Jonathan went, I was going to go to Zion. But that was my desire. You know, I wanted to be there with my cousin, who is my friend. I wanted to be there. That was my desire. But when I actually, I never prayed to ask the Lord. Never. I just decided it. But when I did pray to ask the Lord, when I did seek the face of God, he gave me another instruction. But then when he gave me that instruction, he also followed it up with a desire. Because when I got that new instruction, when I would previously had desired to go to New England and go to, to go to Zion, now with the new instruction from God came a new desire to go to a place that I'd never gone before, to, to live in a place I'd never lived before. It's like, how do you have a desire for that? I don't know. It comes from the Lord giving you the desires of your heart. When I graduated Bible school, knowing I was called to be an evangelist and the Lord spoke to me in fasting and prayer in February of 2002 to uh, go on staff and help my uncle, Pastor Terry Shuttlesworth, as he launched Dominion Christian Center as an associate pastor. He said, well, I thought you were called to be an evangelist. I, I was and I am. But see, the Lord gave me an instruction. And though I was wondering at the time in my flesh, well, how come if I'm called to be an evangelist, how come I'm not just launching in and starting to travel and do all these things? And then I realized that the Lord had plans. And when he gave me a new instruction, guess what? Along with it came a new desire. For he'll put desires in your heart to carry out his plans for your life. His plans. I've never liked Florida in my whole life. Never liked it. Every time I've traveled here, every time I've visited, never liked it. And then the Lord spoke to me to move here. Guess what came along with the instruction? A desire. The desire came with the instruction. And so I want you to understand the Lord will put 
desires in your heart. It, that scripture can't mean that God just gives you every desire of your heart, the things you desire. Because what if your desires don't align with his desires? Well, he's not going to give you something that pulls you further away from him, right? So God will give you desires that line up with his plans, which is the thing he's done for me every single time. Now, I understand that if you delight yourself in the Lord, as that scripture says, your desires do change in prayer. Your desires do change in the word. They do change in fasting. I get that. And then in those cases, because your desires change as you're conformed to the image of God, he does give you those desires because they're from his presence. But I'm telling you, activate your calling. Activate your calling. And when you activate your calling, of course you're led by the Spirit. And when you're doing what God called you to do, everything changes. Things fall into place. It all becomes aligned and you run with a new momentum like you've never had before when you're doing what the Lord has called you to do. Extremely important. And when you do that, full joy comes from obeying his voice. Full joy comes from following his purpose for your life. No question about it. Uh, number nine. Actually, I'm going to give you ten. I've got a bonus for you. Number nine. Uh, make a decision to cut off all drama, all relationships that are filled with drama. D make a choice to distance yourself. Put it in the comments as this, distance from drama. Distance from drama. Put that in the in, in the con because here's the deal. If if you, I don't care how much you want peace and joy. If you are filling your your atmosphere with people, who will not stop living in drama and anxiety and problems and fighting, and if you won't distance yourself from that, then it will stay in your life. Though you don't want it, they will supply it to you. And I think everybody in the comments knows who I'm talking about. I'm sure you all know people like that, that they will not stop with the drama. They will not stop with the problems, the fighting, the bickering, the complaining, the depression, the anxiety. They won't stop. That, they, it seems like they thrive on it. They live on it. They thrive. It, it's crazy. But I've made up in my mind, distance from drama. Distance from drama. No question. Say, well, man, I feel like that would be hard to do because, you know, I've known some of these people for such a long time. I'm not saying you have to cut them off completely. Still love them. Still pray for them. You know, you can see them every once in a while, whatever. But it's like, dude, how much time am I going to give to people that that's all they want to do? Every time they get around you, did you hear about so-and-so? Did you hear what she said? Did you hear what, she, do, can you believe what such and such? It's like, I don't know and I don't care. I don't know and I don't care. That's so true, Kemba said, just seeing their name. And actually, Kemba, that's a sign. That's a sign. My cousin and I talked about that privately. Um, and I thought, man, what a great sign that is. Um, that 
when you just see their name on caller ID or hear their name in discussion, someone brings them up and you, you automatically like just feel like annoyed or it's like, ugh. Or you know, when someone calls you up and that's not just your flesh. Don't, don't think, well, I'm just being too mean. I'm too fleshly. It's not always. It's not always. A lot of times it's your spirit that's irritated, especially as a spirit-filled believer. And you see their name on the caller ID or somebody brings them up and you're like, inwardly, you're like, ugh, seriously, what do they want? They're calling, like, what do they want now? There's like irritated. Or somebody starts talking about them and you're in, inwardly, you're like, ugh. That might be a sign to you that that relationship is feeding things into your life that are destructive, that are not building you up. See, because under, oh man, Kathy, this is really hard when it's your mom. Yeah, because especially when you're encouraged to uh, honor your father and mother. And that doesn't mean you can't honor them. Of course you honor them. You honor them. But, you know, it's like when you're feeling that, it's like, that's not a God relationship. That's not something God sent into my life. You know, and it's like, uh, the Bible teaches that a friend should sharpen a friend. As iron sharpens iron, Proverbs 27, 17. Uh, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. That's what should happen, is that the people I'm around should fill me with joy. They should fill me with strength. They should bring me to a better place, not a worse place. Not always. That doesn't mean people don't have their moments and people don't have the, you know, people are dealing with something or, I, I get that. I'm talking about all the time. It's all the time. I'm just getting it all the time. That, that's. That's a whole different story than so-and-so had a bad day. So-and-so was dealing with something and I had to help them out because I'm their friend. No, I'm talking about all the time. It's what they live and thrive on. Drama, problems, bickering, fighting, all this stuff. I can't deal with it, man. Jersey Shore generation, I can't deal with it. Can't deal with it. And so you've got to learn to distance yourself from drama. My wife calls it this, plan for peace. Plan for peace. Maybe you've heard her teach on that before on her broadcast. Plan for peace. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Plan for peace. Distance from drama. You got to do it. Because it's not going to happen automatically. Because those people will seek your behind out. They will come find you. They will come find you. So one of the things you got to do is you've got to guard your environment. You've got to guard your atmosphere. That's a very important thing. Not everybody should have access to you at any time. Think about that. Not everybody should have access to you at any time. You should guard yourself. Even family members. You know, I'm talking about extended. I've seen so many marriages that are in stress because of invasive and overbearing in-laws, either on the husband's side or the wife's side. I've seen it. And then the husband's irritated or the wife is irritated because her mother-in-law is always coming in and always giving her opinion and saying what she wants, to, or, the, or the husband's irritated because the in-laws are always in their business and always over at the house and all this, and it, you know. And so that's, you know, why the Bible says that, you know, a man is to leave his father and mother 
cling to his wife. So not everybody should have access to you all the time. <laughs> Mike Frost said, now I have an answer when Floriana, his wife, says, fix your face. Sorry, Floriana, it's my spirit that's bothered. <laughs> oh, I'm giving fuel for the fire today. But it's true. Not everybody should have access to you all the time. Not everybody. Guard your atmosphere. Guard your peace. And then be, be truly introspective about those people you've allowed in your life. Are these people, are these people that should be in my life, are these people that should literally have access to me, should they be around all the time? Because every time I'm around them, I just am mad. I'm irritated. I'm annoyed. That's a sign. It is a sign unto you. <laughs> Guard yourself. Guard your home. Guard your home. Guard your home. Guard your mind. I'm, I'm telling you. <clears throat> I'm telling you. It will help you. It will help you. Number 10. Choose... This is the final one I'll give you before we pray. Choose to be generous. Choose to be generous. Throw a hand up in the comments if you have uh, experienced this before where you've been a blessing to somebody. You've helped somebody. You've done something for somebody. And, it made, and the, the joy exploded inside of you. Just you felt ex so extremely happy after choosing to help somebody after choosing to bless somebody, even after giving at church or sowing a seed, whatever it might be, throw a hand up if that's been you. You've experienced that taking place. I know I have ex many times, not just helping people, even in sowing my own seeds. I can tell you this, one of the things that's an odd feeling, maybe you've been here before, this might be one of the most odd feelings that you could ever have. <laughs> and it comes down to, Galatians 5.17, that the flesh is at war with the spirit. Your spirit will have different desires than your flesh, no question. But have you ever had this? I'd love to see if you have. You know, when you go to sow a seed, and it's one of those seeds that like the Lord spoke to you about, it's a serious seed, it's significant, it's large. And it's like your flesh is going like, oh man, oh man, oh man, like that. But your spirit is like so pumped up to do it. So excited to do it. And at the same time, your flesh is extremely uncomfortable, but your spirit is like so happy, so excited. That is one of the truest pictures of the flesh warring against the spirit. And uh, it's, it's, an, it's an amazing thing to see that when you are a sower, when you're a generous giver, when you bless others, it brings a joy on the inside of you that truly nothing else can bring. Nothing else can bring. Look, look how the apostles uh, remembered the words of Jesus. Um, the Bible says in Acts 20, 35, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And really interesting that in the Amplified it says, the one who gives is happier and more to be envied. Woo, get that. The one who gives is happier 
and more to be envied. We were, I'm trying to remember where we were. We were in a pretty rural place, uh, in, holding a revival recently, within the last few months. It was actually before the new year. And uh, we, I ran to the grocery store. And um, <laughs> I was picking up all of our groceries for the week, for the revival, for the, for the house we were in. And I had all these things up on the belt. And this guy came in behind me and put one of those separators down, those dividers that you put on the checkout belt. And he put up his, his stuff on, onto the, uh, the belt too. And that wasn't even a big deal. This shows you how, like, how amazing it is. It wasn't even like that much stuff. I mean, it was like, I think he had the basics, like a couple loaves of bread, milk, you know, just like maybe four or five things. And uh, I took the divider away. And I just said, put, put his on mine too. He looked at me. This is what makes me laugh. He looked at me <laughs> as though it was like, like I was bailing him out of jail or like bought his entire college. He looked at me like, why? I was like, are you sure, bro? And I'm thinking to myself, like, if you haven't seen what I've got up on the belt, this is going to be a ridiculous bill anyway. I said, but, you know, I was like, dude, it's not a big deal. This is like bread, milk, and a couple other things. He's like, bro, are you serious? Are you sure? I was like, yeah, I'm happy to do it. He was, and, he, and then, like, he's blown away. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe you do that. I, wow, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And, it, of course, I was happy to see he was so joyful about it. But there's something in the generosity. There's something in the giving that fills you with joy. You've heard my uh, testimony of uh, when, I, when I met the man in the Walmart parking lot who'd just gotten out of jail. And supposedly they'd towed his car. He needed money to get his, his car out of impound so he could go to work the next day. The job that his parole officer had gotten him. And he was there with his wife. And I, I said, I said, happy to do it. I said, but before I do it, let me talk to you. And I, I led them both to Jesus in the parking lot. And then uh, was able to bless them. They're weeping. But you know what? I felt so much joy as I was able to bless them. Not only that, to lead them to Jesus. Able to bless them. It's so wonderful. Like, I've told the story about Christmas so many times, how I didn't understand when I was younger. When my father said, my joy is getting to see you open your presents. I like to get, I love to see you. I want to see you open your presents. And now as a father, I get that. I get it. That it's the generosity that brings you joy. I love seeing my three children open up their presents. I love it. I love it. It brings me extreme joy to bless my children. Well, that's the heart of God that's inside the believer. The heart of God to bless others. There's a joy that comes. There's a joy that comes. That's why the Lord shows what kind of giver he loves. A cheerful. So let me ask you this. When is the only times that your giving does not produce cheerfulness? When are the only times when your generosity does not produce a happiness within you? Paul told us when. He said, don't give or be generous in response to manipulation or pressure. That's what Paul taught. Do not give in response to manipulation or pressure because God loves a cheerful giver. God loves it. 
And look at, look at Billion put this up, Proverbs eleven twenty five. A generous person will prosper. And whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. That's exactly right. It's exactly right. And I love this because that's why my wife and I, we've almost made it like a, a pact. But it's like, if I start sensing manipulation and pressure, I'm not giving anything. Because I'm not surrendering my joy to somebody's manipulation. I'm not going to surrender my peace to somebody's manipulation. And I'm not going to surrender my harvest to somebody's manipulation. And so if I feel that manipulation, the pressure, the, the crooked, I'm not getting involved. I will not get involved at all. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. That's why Paul was telling them, don't give in response to manipulation or pressure. Don't do that. God loves a cheerful giver. When you make, that's why Paul said, you must each decide in your heart what you'll give to God. You've got to be the person. So if the Holy Spirit speaks to you, you've got to be the person who responds to that instruction from the Lord. You've got to make a decision. You know, I have to, I have to be the, the guy. Let me ask you this. If that same situation had happened with me in the grocery store, do you think I'd feel the same and that dude would feel the same if he threw his groceries up on the belt and then said, man, I, I really need you to pay for these. I really need you to pay for these, bro. Do you, do you think that I'd feel the same? Like, oh man, I feel the joy of it. Or do you think I'd be irritated now? And do you think he'd feel guilt and feel shame? Because now he can, I need you to buy these. That, that's all, it's, isn't that a whole different feeling? Same result. Here's what's crazy. It's the same result. I bought his stuff. I bought his groceries. But it's a whole different feeling at the end of the result. It's that I feel irritated and he feels ashamed and guilty. Versus the flip side. I'm the one who initiated it. I wasn't responding to manipulation and pressure. I decided in my heart, I'm going to be a generous giver. And I'm going to bless him. Look how it flipped the outcome. Even though same thing would have happened, I would have paid for it either way. But secondly... I get to experience the joy of my generosity. He gets to experience the joy of my generosity. You see the difference. And when people are, see, this is why the enemy works hard to try to make us self-centered and self-focused. Because as long as it's all about me, then I'm missing out on the joy of my generosity. That's what we talk about, blessed to be a blessing. I'm blessed to be a blessing. Yeah, that's true because... When I'm blessed to be a blessing, I actually get blessed again. I receive my blessing, I bless others, and I'm blessed again. Not just with a harvest, with the joy that goes along with my generosity. Hallelujah. I mean, I want you to put that in the, in the comments before we pray. Joy accompanies generosity. Joy accompanies generosity. It does. It absolutely does. And that's what Paul was trying to teach. Don't let manipulation and pressure steal the cheerfulness, the joy of your generosity. It's so powerful. So powerful. That's why you can feel it. When you sow, you know, that's why, and though we're not, 
you know, we're not giving you any individual or telling you who are the people, but the reason that we tell you how we're all working together to bless, not just to preach the gospel, which is what we're doing, not just to touch the world, which is what we're doing, but also even to bless those in need. It's what we're doing. And there's a joy that comes. Hallelujah. There's a joy that comes. That's why I've never, ever manipulated anybody to give. Never will. I never will. Because if the Lord can't do it, if the Lord can't take care of us, as we said at the beginning, then there's no point in living this life of faith. If the Lord can't take care of us, then there's no point in living this life of faith. If we can't even trust him, we've got to trust him for our salvation. We've got to trust him for our healing. We've got to trust him for everything that we've got. Mackenzie, that's how you know a lot of things are a scam. Mackenzie said, this is a true story. A homeless man asked me for money because he was hungry. I didn't have cash, so I gave him my sub. When I drove away, I saw him throw it out. <laughs> you got to realize there are scams out there. There are scams out there. <laughs> that happened to my Uncle Tiff one time as well. He was going to give the guy money. He said, I was, but the guy asked for money. The guy said, well, I, I, he, my uncle said, I'll, I'll take you to get some food. And the guy was mad he wouldn't give him cash. He said, no, come on, I'll take you and get you a burger. And the guy was angry. And finally, the guy pulled out a roll of money that was huge, a thick, a thick knot of, of money. He said, I don't need your effing burger. So, sometimes it is. But the Lord will lead you how to give. The Lord will lead you how to give. And we're going to pray. We're going to pray because I know people are battling and people need this joy, but there are things you can do immediately. There's 10 right there. If people, I guarantee you, if people would follow these 10, no question, joy fills you and you live that way daily. Again, don't forget a lot of this I've written in this first book I ever produced, Praise, Laugh, Repeat. This is on sale in Apple Books and Kindle right now, $4.99. If you don't have a copy of it, get it. It'll help you. But I want to pray. Because as I know, not only is joy an anointing, but also heaviness is a spirit. The Bible teaches it. It's a spirit of heaviness, a spirit of fear. Fear is a spirit. And so we're taking authority over those things, but we're making choices to walk. Walk in the supernatural joy and peace of God. So let me pray for you. Father, I pray for every person that's watching or listening to me. And I ask you, if they are battling a spirit of fear and a spirit of heaviness, let this be the last day that it harasses their life in Jesus' name. I command a spirit of heaviness and a spirit of fear to loose its grip and let them go today and let joy flood their soul. Let peace flood their soul. But I pray that you would strengthen them to understand the wisdom and strength of your word. Let them employ these instructions. Lord, let this be the greatest year of overwhelming joy we've ever seen. It's our year of divine possession. Now, Lord, I pray, as we just spoke, I pray that you would speak to every man and woman that's listening to this. Give them an instruction about something they can do to be generous in your kingdom, a seed that they can sow, and let us clearly hear it, obey, and we'll expect a harvest, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. So I want to encourage you to sow a seed today in generosity into this ministry. If you've never partnered with us, 
I want to encourage you to partner with us. Information's on the screen. You know how to do it. You can go to miracleword.com. Maybe you've never taken, a, taken that step of faith to say, you know what? I'm going to stand beside Ted and Carolyn as they preach this gospel around the world and watch what God will do through my finances to bring help and healing to those that are on their way to hell. God will bless you for it. We have so many testimonies of people that started and didn't even know if they could afford it. And God so abundantly blessed them that they've continually increased their partnership every month. And I'm telling you, God will do the same for you. Your seed brings back a harvest. And so do what the Lord's telling you to do. And then, of course, this month of February, we're calling it 28 Days of Glory. It's what we're believing God for. Uh, we're sending this book by Dr. Mike Murdoch entitled 31 Reasons people do not receive their financial harvest. Very important thought process. Are there things that you're doing now that are holding back your harvest, the things that uh, God has planned for you? Are there things that need to be changed so that you can receive yours? For those that are partnering with us, go to miracleword.com forward slash offer. And those that are sewing at $250 or more, uh, you can select a second book from the drop down as well and then for those that are uh, sewing at $1,000 or more, we're going to be including with that the Net Study Bible with 60,000 translators' notes. It's my favorite study tool right now. I love it. And that's for those that are standing with us at $1,000 or more. Don't forget, as you're sowing your seed, tomorrow night starts Signs and Wonders Camp Meeting. My father's going to be ministering. Bishop Rick Thomas this week, I'll be ministering. The band's going to be there. We're going to have a blast. It's going to be a powerful meeting tomorrow at 7, and then Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday at 10.30 and 7. 10.30 in the morning, 7 p.m., finishing up Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You don't want to miss these meetings. They're going to be so powerful. And then, of course, on February the 28th, don't forget, this is our special prayer and communion service at the end of this month of February before we cross over into March. At 9 p.m., February 28th, uh, communion and prayer, 9 p.m., right here on all these platforms. And uh, we're believing God for breakthroughs. 28 days of glory in this year of divine possession. We're going to have what we've never had, do what we've never done, and we're going to go where we've never gone. I love you guys so very much. I'll see you again in the morning, 10.30 a.m. Have a wonderful and a blessed day. I'll talk to you soon. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.